Let's go ahead and uh, pray, and we'll, we're going to take a run through the Bible here, so you guys may keep up with me. I'm going to march so I can get there fast so we don't take all night. So, Lord, we just ask you to bless this time as we come and we look at why you came to this earth. And we just thank you for this time that we have, and we ask you to lead and anoint it in your son's name. Amen. Now, one of the things that happens at Christmas is we get all tangled up in all the activities, the... The, all that goes on and you know there's a lot of people who think that the whole reason for Christmas is so you can go to the mall and shop okay other people think it's so they can have that feast day with their family on on Christmas Day and the whole thing about Jesus's birth gets lost so often in our day-to-day -day experience of Christmas and we want to just look at this why did Jesus come and we're gonna start in Luke chapter 2 Verse 1, and we're going to start with just the miracle of his birth. And it came to pass in those days that there went up a decree from Caesar Augustus that the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth unto Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be taxed with Mary his espoused wife being great with child and so it was that while they were there the days were accomplished that she should be delivered and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. So we start out with just the, mir the miracle of getting Jesus to Bethlehem. Micah 2.5 tells us, uh, five, excuse me, 5.2 <laughs> tells us that Jesus would be, the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Mary and Joseph lived in Nazareth, just about 120 miles away or 150 miles away. Only problem was there was this country called Samaria between Nazareth and, and Bethlehem. So to get there, they had to travel close to 250 miles because no Jew would go through Nazareth if they could at all help it. And then you can think about this. If you're nine months pregnant, having to make a 200, 250 mile journey would not be something you wanted to do. It would be bad enough in our day in a car. <laughs> okay. And you want to remember, Mary and Joseph were poor. How do we know that they were poor? Because when they offered the sacrifice for her purification, they offered the cheapest one you could do, doves. You just go out, throw a net over them, and catch them. That, that, was, the, that was the price for somebody who was poor. So they offered two doves. So we know they were a poor family. And, you know, we talk about this in all the movies, all the stories you see. You see one thing about Mary. She rides to, Jer to Bethlehem on a donkey. Well, that would be a tough ride anyway. But they're a poor family. They probably couldn't afford a donkey. She either had to walk or Joseph made some kind of cart for her to, to drag her. And he played, he played the animal and drug the cart. Or if they were really lucky because you always traveled in a caravan, maybe some older woman said, hey, get this woman up here. She's not walking <laughs> to Bethlehem. But we don't, the Bible does not tell us how she got there. It just tells us that they got there. Okay? And I just wanted to bring that out. Just the miraculous part of his birth. And he was born in a manger. The Son of God, the King of the universe, born in a stinking barn. And I don't know how many of you have ever tried to clean out a barn or have animals in a barn. Uh, they're not the best. You wouldn't want to be 
sleeping there like they were doing, and you would definitely wouldn't want to have had your child there. Even if it was freshly cleaned, it still does not <laughs> smell good and, and been, a, been a great place. And Mary gives birth to the Son of God in a stable and puts him in a feeding crib for his, for his first bed. And this is, that's one of the most amazing things, how much God humbled himself when he came to this world. He didn't say, I'm God of the universe, I'm going to be born in the palace with all the luxury and nurses and doctors and, and attendants. He was born in the lowest possible way that anybody could imagine. And he did it in a miraculous way. He forced them there. But I can guarantee you, there was no way that they were going to go to Bethlehem on their own. None of us would. None of us would do that. And then we want to just look at why did he come? We're going to turn over just a little ways to verse 21. And when the eight days was accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which is so named of the angel which would, before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the, of the Lord, every male that opens the, the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer the sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And that man was a just man and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it was revealed unto him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when his parents brought the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him in his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, let your, your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared before the face of all these people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and a glory to the people of Israel. Why did Jesus come? Simeon was there. To be the consolation of Israel, and that's a pretty fancy term, but it just means that he was going to see the Messiah. The one that would bring glory, the one that would bring comfort, the one that would bring solace. And Simeon was waiting. God has said, you're going to see him in your lifetime, the Messiah. The Messiah who had been promised, if you remember the very first promise of the Messiah, Genesis chapter 3, 15, when God said he would come and bruise, the serpent would bruise his heel and he'd crush the serpent's head. That was going to happen at the cross. And all the hundreds of prophecies of the Messiah being fulfilled, born in Jerusalem, uh, in Bethlehem, born of a virgin, all, the, all these things. And an amazing thing, how the Bible prophesies things to come very clearly. You know, they're not like the horoscopes you read in the newspaper that could be answered by just about anything and everything that happens to you. Uh, you know, but real prophecies, born in Bethlehem, born of a virgin, that, you know, that he would be the consolation, that the, sh the shepherds would be there. All these things that happened 
And the odds of happening, I don't know if anybody likes statistics like me, but the odds of happening, this, these thing, 300 things happening are off the charts, <laughs> okay? Are totally off the charts, and yet Jesus fulfilled it. In his death, he fulfilled more. Being crucified and not having any bones broken, that was unheard of. Being able to rise from the dead, all these things that came along that Jesus fulfilled through what he did. And God prophesied these things. Simeon said that he was not only going to be the Messiah, he was going to be a light to, to the Gentiles. Do you realize how big a deal this was for a Jewish man to say that the Messiah was going to be a light for the Gentiles? You know, Jews didn't talk to Gentiles if they could help it. They would not eat with Gentiles. If they had to eat in the same house, they would sit at, very, at different tables as far away as they could. And then that was not done by choice. And Simeon's saying, the Messiah is coming to be a light unto Gentiles. Now, that's good news for most of us in this room because most of us, if not all of us, are Gentiles. We're not Jews. <laughs> so this, this, this message that he came to be a light for us is amazing. And then he says he's the glory of Israel. Just an amazing thing that we see. Jesus, the king of the universe, God, came down to be man to die for us. That was his whole purpose. Because he had to do that. Why did God have to do that? Because he needed to redeem us. And we cannot be redeemed by anything that God could create, because that wouldn't cost him anything. If God could create it, it doesn't cost him anything. It'd be like us you know, saying, I'm going to redeem you, and we print out $5,000 in, in bills. It really is not costing us anything if we printed them out, plus we'd end up in jail if we got caught. But God says, OK, I own everything. I can create everything. I created man in six days. I created the world in six days. I created man in just seconds of forming him on the, on the ground. I breathed life into him. For him to redeem us could not cost anything that he could create. Because it wouldn't cost him anything. He had to come and give his life. Come to give his life. And that was his whole purpose. Predestined before the foundations of the world to come and give his life. We're going to go switch quickly to Galatians chapter 3. And I'm going to read these. If you can't keep up, just listen. Write them down. Galatians 3, verses 13 through 14. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every man that hangs on the tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that he might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. He came to redeem us. He came not only just to redeem us, but it says he became cursed for us. He came and he died for us. He took all of our sin upon himself. And we've talked about this at various times. Can you imagine Jesus? Perfect. He's never sinned in his entire lifetime. That's hard, to, that's hard for us to understand because we don't even know what it means to sin, go without sin for a short period of time. You know, maybe if we're really good, we might get through a day. Most of us can't go that long, myself included. You know, a couple hours, maybe. A couple hours, maybe. But Jesus lived this perfect life, and then he became the curse. He hung on the tree, the cross, 
And the Father put all the sins of the world upon him. And you know, when he became sin, the Father had to break his fellowship. We can't even picture this. Jesus and the Father and the Spirit had been together for all of eternity. Okay? Think as far back as you can think and then add another, multiply by the same amount. And you're still not back far enough. For all of eternity, they're together. Jesus becomes sin. And the Father turns his back on his Son. That perfect closeness. He came to this earth so that he becomes sin, so the Father would reject him. And on the cross he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because for the first time in all of eternity, they were separated. We can't picture that. Of all the pain that he went through, the beating he took with the, with the flagellum and the stripping of his back with the, of the flesh, the crown of thorns with the two-inch thorns pounded into his head, his beard being pulled out of his face, nails going through his, through his, through his wrists and his feet, hanging there suffocating on the cross. Because that's how you died on the cross, you suffocated because of the way it was designed. And yet, the most painful thing he went through, and we can think about all that pain, the physical pain, but the real pain was when the Father turned his back because he took our sin upon him. And he died without the Father being present in his life. That was the case of what he paid for us. This is why he came to this earth, to pay that price so that we didn't have to pay it, because we couldn't pay it. We owed a debt that we couldn't pay. It would be like some of us, some of us owing somebody a trillion dollars. Now, theoretically, we might be able to pay it back, but in reality, there's no way we'd ever pay back a trillion dollars to anybody. Just like our government's never going to pay back the trillions of dollars it owes to, the, to, the, to people. You just can't pay it. It's too big a debt. It's an unpayable debt. We owed a debt to God we couldn't pay. Because the only satisfactory life for him is perfection. He tells us that the wages of sin, singular, is death. You know, so as soon as we, we committed a sin, we earned death. And God is, not, is going to pay it, pay it out. Jesus took that, took that debt, spanned his arms and said, I'm going to pay this price. And the interesting thing about it was he and the Father, before they even created man, got together and said, we're going to create man, they're going to sin, and we need to redeem them. And, and son, I'd like you to sacrifice yourself for them. And amazingly, Jesus said, yes. I love these people. We love these people we haven't even created yet that are going to fall, and we'll redeem them. And then he went ahead and created us, knowing what would happen. Now, if you're like me, you would never have created man knowing what was going to happen and knowing the price it was going to cover that separation. And yet Jesus, before the creation of the world, said, I will make the sacrifice. I'm willing to make that. Do you see how much God loves us? So many people out there want to say that God does not love you know, doesn't love them enough to do things. Or they get with this really sugary sweet, oh, he loves us so much we can do anything we want and nothing matters. 
That's not love. Anybody who has a child and just lets their child run around and do whatever they want does not love their child because their child is going to get hurt. Just the other day, I saw this kid playing around sliding doors at a, at a, at a you know, that slid back and forth, and I'm watching as a kid gets close with his hands up there and his hands being drawn into the door. Well, his mom's out, you know, just not paying any attention to the kid, and I'm running over the kid, you know, watch his hands as they're being drawn into the door. We love, love does not just say, go do what you want. That's not love. Did the mommy get mad at you? Huh? Did the mommy get mad at you? I think she got scared more than anything else. I didn't care if she got mad at me. His hands were going to get crushed. But love does not say go out and do what you want. God does not say just go out and do whatever you feel like doing. He's got rules for us. But his love buys us back. His love cares enough that he was not going to let us go to hell unless we choose it. And we can choose it. We can say, God, I don't want your gift. Jesus, I don't want your sacrifice. You know, I'd rather just do it myself. I'll, I'll, pay my, I'll pay my unpayable debt, God. You know, I don't need your help. All these different things I've heard people say. They may not say it quite so bluntly, but that's really what they're saying. God, I don't need your help. I'll help. I can just do it all myself. I'll find a way, because I'm so proud, I'm going to find a way to pay this debt that's too big, unpayable, but I'll pay it. And I don't know how many times you've shared the gospel with people, and it's so sad when you share the gospel with people, and they go, I just don't believe it. I don't need, I don't need God. I don't need his people. I don't need his Bible. I'll do it my way. Yeah. The belief that there's multiple ways to heaven, all you've got to do is find a way that, that you like. And I've seen a lot of people, they'll sit there and try to go, okay, I like this from the Bible, I like this from the Quran, I like this from Buddha, I like this from Krishna, I like this from uh, Zen. And they start throwing everything together, and if they don't like it, they go, well, I don't like this, get rid of this. And that's what a lot of people do with the scriptures. They like the God of love. They like the God that will sacrifice and say, you're coming to heaven. But they don't want the God that says, I want you to be mine. I want to be your Lord. I want to be your savior. They don't mind the savior part. They don't want the Lord part. But God says he needs to be our Lord, our master. And that means when he says to do something, we do it. But so many people don't want that kind of a relationship with God. They go, God, uh, you come into my life and you go sit in the corner and when I need you, I'll come and get you. you know, and there's lots of people like that. Well, God, I'm saving that. Thank you for saving me. And go now, go sit over there. <laughs> go sit over there, and if I need you, I'll come and get you. You know, I've got my, I've got my salvation, I think. But when I need you, I'll come and you. That's not the God. That's not what He wants. He's asking to be in charge of our life. And when He's in charge of our life, oh, life is precious. When you're listening to God and doing it His way, it's an amazing thing to do. God is not out there trying to hurt us. I've seen a lot of people think that, well, I've got to be careful what I pray for because God might just make my life difficult. What kind of God are you worshiping? You know, maybe he'll ask you to do something you don't think you want to do, but when you do it, you're going to be very glad you did it. Yeah. Yeah, I can't say I've wanted to do everything that God has asked me to do, but once I get into doing it, I say, wow, this was, this was really good. This was, this was great. God is not out there trying to make us 
difficult. He's not out there trying to make us have a hard time. He's not out there trying to say, well, I'm going to give you the worst thing that you can want to do. I'm going to ask you to do. No, that's not God. He loves us. He cares for us. He wants us to be seeking him. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. And this is Paul writing. He says he was the chief of sinners. Jesus came to save sinners. Save every one of us. Every person on this world is a sinner. Except for Jesus. He was the only one that walked a perfect life. All of us have sinned. And anybody who doesn't believe they've sinned is lying to themselves. Because everyone is told most, a lie in their life, have had a bad thought. Many people have stolen, even if it's inadvertent. In business worlds, they steal a lot. Paper clips, papers, you know, pens, you know, just about anything that isn't locked away, they'll steal. Every one of us has committed sin. Jesus came to save us. Be our savior, our rescuer. I love it in the German Bible, he's called the rescuer. And that is great. He is our rescuer. Coming back to John chapter 6, verse 51. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eats of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I give him is my flesh, which I will give for the, for the life of the world. God gives eternal life. This is so precious. Once we accept Jesus Christ, we have eternal life. And it starts from the moment we accept him. We will not die in the spirit. Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with God. All we'll do is we'll transition, our body will fall down, and we'll just keep going. I love some of the shows you see sometimes on TV, you know, when they show a death experience, and the person the, is walking, they look back, and there's the body laying there. That's scriptural, except the fact that they'll be in with God. They won't just keep walking in this world. They'll be with God. And look back, and the body's just laying there. They're with God. This is what he came to do. Give us life. Eternal life. In Philippians chapter 2, we're not going to cover everything Jesus came for, otherwise we'd be here all night, so don't worry, we're not doing everything. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in the fashion of man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He humbled himself. And you know, it makes it interesting that he came as a child, a child, very weak, an infant can't live without somebody taking care of the infant. He didn't come as a strapping 18, 19-year-old man or a 20-year-old man ready to take on the world. He came as an infant. Came to that stable in a manger 
The God of the universe, the creator of all things, came in the weakest thing that they could come to come as in the middle of the biggest poverty you could probably think of, and he was born that way, humbled himself when he became a man, and all so that he could come and save us, to go to the cross. John 5, verse 17. Matthew 5, 17. I'm going to say that verse did not look right, right at all. <laughs> Matthew 5, 17. Think not that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy the, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law until all be fulfilled. Jesus came to fulfill the law. All 613 of them. Okay. Usually when we as Gentiles think of the law, we think of Ten Commandments. <laughs> ten rules. <laughs> no. The Jews have counted 613 rules that they are to keep. Now, we have trouble keeping ten. Now, ten. <laughs> we have trouble with the ten, ten laws. And Jesus kept all 613 of them so that he could be the perfect sacrifice. He had to be the perfect sacrifice to be able to pay for sin. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago. We have trouble sometimes. Some people ask, well, how can one person pay the price for everybody? Well, in the, in the ancient days, it was not uncommon for two armies to come together and say, rather than kill a lot of people, let's grab two champions, and we'll just let them fight. The winner, the winner wins the battle. <laughs> now, think about David and Goliath. That was exactly what happened there. Goliath, this big giant up there, nine, nine foot two, <laughs> Never been defeated in battle saying, oh, come on, send a champion out here and you know, if, if you can manage to defeat me, you win the war. That was not uncommon. That wasn't an unusual event. In the Bible, it's got five or six events where this happens in the battles. But in history, we've got hundreds of events where somebody would say, oh, rather than kill a lot of our people, we'll just put two champions out there or we'll put 10 champions out, you know, 10 on 10 rather than, you know, thousands on a thousand, and the winner won the war. Jesus came to be our champion, our champion against Satan, our champion to pay the price for God. And he won. <laughs> he won. Satan thought he won. <laughs> he killed him, he thought. And he was dead for three days. And then he rose again. And all of this because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. The whole purpose of Christmas, not to go shopping, not to go have feasts, not to run around singing Christmas carols even, you know, if you love the caroling activities. Years ago, they used to. Oh, we used to have lots of that. The whole purpose of Christmas was to, for God to come down, be born of a virgin, live a perfect life, die on a cross, be resurrected in three days so that we can be saved. That is, the, that is the importance of Christmas. That's the value of Christmas. We need to be so careful that we do not forget the purpose of Christmas. And it is so easy in the hustle and bustle to get lost. 
for the reason for Christmas. But it is all about who he is. We're going to close in a prayer, and then we're going to read one more verse in, in John chapter 12. And does everybody have their candles? Get them ready. We'll have our candles. Lord, we just thank you that you came to die for us, to redeem us, so that we can be saved. We thank you for that great blessing. We could never have paid that debt. We owed a debt we couldn't pay. You paid that debt. You fulfilled that desire. And Lord, we just thank you for that, and we love you and, and care for you. In Jesus' name, amen.